0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you, may, that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is knocking on the door of a church. It's really interesting. So sometimes I sit at home and I get a little bit excited when people knock on the door. I think maybe it's the Mormons this time (laughs) because they stopped coming to my house after a while at my last (laughs) place. But we moved recently to Mount Barker so I'm hoping they'll turn up. Um, Has anyone been out door knocking trying to tell people about Jesus before? There's like a couple of hands. It's not very popular anymore. Let me ask a different question. Has anyone had their door knocked on and they became a Christian because someone knocked on their door and told them about Jesus? Anyone in the house? Anyone? Okay, well actually, at my previous church, um, I had a number of people, and this was from a previous generation, who had people knock on their doors and became Christians because someone had the boldness to go out and to share Christ with them. But these days we tend to, Be a bit put off by that. We think they come to sell us something or it's the Mormons. But in this case, in this case, get this Jesus is knocking on the door of the church. Isn't that interesting? It's the reverse generally of the way that we think it. We think that we're the ones that have to go out and do the door knocking. No, Jesus is doing the door knocking. He has come to make a personal visit to the church at Laodicea. And He's come to make a personal visit to us this morning, to speak to us, to change us to be the church community that He wants us to be. Jesus is essentially saying to the church in Laodicea, because he's outside the building, which is interesting, and we'll get to that a little bit later. He's saying, when you won't come to me, I will come to you. Jesus has come to shape his community by his word. And so to do that, we're gonna look at three different things. And the first one is to see what he sees. We need to see what he sees. Now, i um. My brother-in-law and I have been doing some winemaking this year for the first time. So um, my uh, wife's parents uh, just bought a farm and they have an acre of Grenache grapes, which is very exciting. So we've spent the whole year, uh, we harvested the grapes, we crushed the grapes, we helped the grapes ferment. Uh, They've been sitting uh, in in, uh, wine barrels for several months now. And what we had to do is called racking just recently racking, which means you pump out the wine, the good wine from the barrels and you look down the bottom and realise that there's sludge at the bottom of these barrels. You get literally to the bottom of the barrel. Now the wine tastes a little bit funky before you draw draw out the good wine and separate it from the sludge and then you clean out the barrels essentially and then pump the good wine back in and it suddenly it tastes a whole lot better and we'll be ready for bottling in January, just in case you want some. Um, we're very excited about that. But the point being is that you have to get right down to the bottom of the barrel to realise that it's filled with this sludge, which is the combination of the yeast and sort of the sediment and the leftover bits of grapes and whatever else is in there. Do so you have to remove that in order to give it a decent taste? And that's exactly the same thing that Jesus is doing in the church in Laodicea. He's getting literally to the bottom of the barrel. That's where the saying comes from. To show us that there's a bit of sludge down there. There's a bit of rubbish that needs to be removed in order that that church might function as it ought to. You know, They've got some problems in the church in Laodicea. And so Jesus is gonna take us to the bottom of the barrel so we don't go, oh, this tastes disgusting. Or just have a weird taste and go, "Mm, that's really good. That's the sort of aroma. That's the taste you want the church to have. It tastes like the good wine. So who who is this person that has turned up to the church at Laodicea? We see in our text, he says, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is the same Jesus of blazing glory. His sun is shining more than the sun at full strength. We're told in Revelation chapter one, this same Jesus has come to make a personal visit to the church at Laodicea to help them to see what He sees, to transform their vision because they've been deceived. They don't realise what they really look like and they've been deceived by Riches. So what does He see? Jesus sees a church that thinks they're rich and they are rich materially, but they're really poor. They think they don't need a thing, but they're so needy that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. They are destitute. They are destitute spiritually, but rich materially. Isn't that interesting? This tells us that there is an emptiness to our wealth. I mean, the church at Laodicea is really, for much of the West, the church we are in. It is our default position because our culture is rich. And we're not just rich, we're the richest of the rich, both historically and geographically in the world. We are very wealthy and we don't realise how that makes us spiritually Impoverished. We don't realise. That's the problem. We don't see it. We don't see it. But why can't we see it? Why can't we see it? It says in the text that they don't realise in verse 17. They literally cannot recognise what is going on, that they are materially rich. They've got everything they need. They think they don't need anything and yet they are absolutely Spiritually poor. Why? Because wealth and materialism are deceitful to the point where whole churches and perhaps even the entire West, many of the churches can be blinded by it. I mean, like, what are the stories that Jesus tells us, the parables that Jesus tells us in the New Testament? It's easier for a rich man to get, sorry, it's harder for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven than it's for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The, the disciples said, well, it's impossible. How can anyone be saved? We don't realise that our default status in, um, and was said before, in middle upper class uh, Australia, uh, in just, just by default of being in this country is we are wealthy and we are spiritually impoverished. Jesus explains what happens when our riches and the deceitfulness of riches get a hold of us. He does this in Mark chapter four. He says, This is in the parable of the sower, he says, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. What is Jesus pointing to? The flourishing of the local church is directly connected to how you see your riches, your material wealth. Is that what you value? Or do you value the things that only God can give? It literally chokes out the fruitfulness of God's Word in the church, in the life of, not just the individual, but in the whole body of believers and more broadly too. Wealth status, the material and visible things that attract our hearts, the thing that we are often drawn to live for, the thing that the outside world tells us you should aim at with your whole life, it is choking out the word. And Jesus has come to reform and renew the church by changing the way that we look at our wealth. We can't see it because we love our money too much, we love our standard of living too much. And if we're honest, we're pretty content the way things are because we like being comfortable. But if Jesus is going to enter the church, he wants us to see as he sees it. And he wants us to know that he is gonna flip the tables right over and change the way we see ourselves and we see each other. One of the beautiful things I think about This letter to the church in Laodicea is that Jesus sees exactly what they're like and He still wants to come in. Notice He hasn't ditched them. He's knocking on the door. He's saying, let me in. I wanna come in. I wanna change things. I wanna make them new. I want you to stop chasing after the wrong things and get you chasing after the right things. He's a doctor come to help the sick. He wants to help And He's ready and willing and He's there and He's knocking. Isn't that beautiful? He's there. He's offering His best for our worst. He's offering His life as a ransom for ours. He's offering to give us everything we need when He needs nothing from us. I mean, this is an act of grace. He sees the sludge and He says, I want in. I want you to clean it out so that I might fill you with new wine. A couple of years ago, I had a dream and it was a really odd dream. Um, I, was, I was in a room and there were sort of friends and family. It was sort of like a dinner, um, but it was like an important dinner. And there were some dignitaries there. So I was a bit nervous uh, in the dream. And then they, and they started this presentation and this is where the dream went bad. Because the presentation was about my life and all the bad things that I'd ever done and, 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 and the bad things that I'd ever thought. And so as this thing went on and on, I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> I didn't know this was what I was turning up to. And then I started, this fear inside of me started to grow. And I was like, oh no, this is pretty serious. Like they're putting all my dirty laundry, all my sludge is out there. And suddenly the fear got to the point where like, I'm gonna get done for this. They're gonna put me away. And so as this fear is increasing and building to the point where I'm so nervous in the dream that I am convinced that I'm gonna be you know, burnt at the stake or something, somebody else at another table gets up and says, no, it was me. I'll take the punishment. And so they literally grab this guy and take him out of the room. And I'm just shell-shocked. Someone else has stood in my place and took it for me. And I'm just there, all good. And so I woke up from the dream, and you know, sort of stumbled out of bed and start making my coffee in the morning. I thought like, that was a weird dream. And then I started thinking, I was like, "Oh, that is what Jesus did for me. He saw my rubbish, he saw my sludge, he saw what I'm really like, and he came and took it all to the cross." For me. And that's the truth about the church at Laodicea. Jesus is inclined toward people who are far from him. I mean, isn't, isn't that how the like the stories of the Bible work? Jesus is always going after those that are a distance. And that is what he wants to do for the Western church, the wealthy church, for you and I. He is inclined towards us, but He wants to clean out the sludge. And so here we have to see it as He sees it. So that's the first point, we have to see as He sees. The second is that we need to value what He values. Jesus is doing this great exchange, right, with the Riches, the material riches of the church in Laodicea, he wants to give them something better. What does he offer? He offers spiritual riches, gold refined by fire, that is pure gold, the best stuff from heaven he has come to offer. He offers clothing of righteousness. Notice that the spiritual poverty of the church in Laodicea has made them shameful. They don't realize it, but they're naked. Has anyone had a dream where they're like, they public speaking and they're naked? Don't, you don't have to put your hand up for that one. But like, that's what it's like. They don't even realise. And the worst, they cannot see it. So not only are they spiritually, uh, sorry, spiritually poor and they're shameful because they think they need nothing, but they really need everything, but they're blind to it. And Jesus says, I will give you clothes of righteousness. I will clothe you with my own righteousness, my position with the Father I will give to you and I will give you salve on your eyes that you might see it. Free you from your bondage to the deceitfulness of riches so that you might live the true life. But I want you to notice how Jesus does this, right? How does Jesus give us spiritual riches? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, what does it say? For you know the grace of God, though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is the richest person the world has ever seen. It's not Bill Gates. It's not Elon Musk. It's not some other, uh, you know, secret guy in Russia. <laughs> Jesus is the richest guy in the world, and He always has been. And what did He do? He laid it down, became human and He became as destitute as you could possibly be. They would not crucify citizens. They would only crucify non-citizens on the cross. He became completely destitute to the point where He was not just physically destitute, materially destitute, but spiritually destitute. What did He say on the cross? My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? He became poor in every sense of the word that that we might become rich through his poverty. What is Jesus saying? It cost him everything in every way so that we might become rich. Jesus saying, I bought this for you. This gold refined by fire is out of the fires of judgment. And I've come to share it with you. How much more value is that? than what we can see. How much more value is what Jesus done for what we can see? That is the first thing that Jesus provides spiritual riches. The second second is His clothing of righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on our sludge, took on our rubbish. You know, like if, if you were to have a dream like I did, where all the things you've ever done and thought were just laid up one against the other, you would be pretty concerned too. And yet Jesus had laid all that up and took it on His account. And He stamped it, paid in full, so that nobody ever, ever can claim those things against you because it is finished. The clothing of righteousness is direct from heaven. It's the righteousness of Jesus. And He is offering this in exchange for our lives that are clothed with material things. He's got something much better and it will last all eternity. Because you know what, the wisdom of the Bible says, your money will pass away. The material things you have, literally your clothing will be gone, eaten by moths, recycled. Someone else will be wearing it in different clothes in different country at some point, right? But the things that Jesus offers will never pass away. Jesus is speaking the truth in love to us. What are we we seeing here? What does Jesus value Jesus values spiritual things because He knows that they last and He's trying to change our mind on these things. He's going to make us realise that His way is better. So what does this mean for us? We're gonna see what He sees. We're gonna value what He values. We need to become, it says the church in Laodicea thinks that they need nothing. What do they need? They need to know that they're needy. They need to become needy. You know, we turn up to church and put on our Sunday best. We turn up to church, putting on our Sunday best, but actually often hiding our spiritual neediness. Needy people need God and they need each other. Needy people pray because they can't last one day without it. Needy people come to church not to look good in front of others, but because they realise they need to be stirred up to love and good works by meeting together. And that if they didn't, they'd be far more selfish and they're willing to admit it. Needy people realise that Jesus has far more to offer and is far more important than what the world has to offer. When you become needy, your heart is inclined towards God. We just saw it from our friends, Bill and Norma. When you're poor, you pray. When you know you're poor, you pray. We're not poor, to varying degrees. But when we know we're poor, that is the condition of the heart by which we would pray. When we begin to value what He values, we realise Jesus has it all and He's come to give it to us. The question, though, is why is Jesus offering these things for us? Why is he providing these things to us? Have a look at verse 19 with me. He says, Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. Jesus is doing it out of love. He's speaking the truth in love to his church. He's trying to change our value system to shape us into the community he wants us to be. It's a little bit like the intervention for an alcoholic. So you can imagine the room, as the alcoholic is there, they've been sort of surprised by family and friends sitting in a room and they've just walked in the door and people are sitting there and they're looking very serious. The family and friends are there because they've finally had enough. They've heard all the excuses. They've they've heard the, I could stop any time I want to. They've heard the lies that it's only one or two nights a week, the lies covered by a constant smell of minty freshness. The family and friends decide to confront the alcoholic because they cannot allow them to continue like this anymore. They love them too much to see their actions end in disaster. The problem with riches and materialism is that unlike alcoholism, it looks like success on the outside. That's the problem with the church in Laodicea. It looks great on the outside, but Jesus is the faithful and true witness He sees on the inside. Man looks on outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. Ease and prosperity. Like, isn't that what we really want? Isn't that the Australian dream? But this can be literally more dangerous than alcohol addiction because it lurks in plain sight. The world encourages it and there is no rehab for it. There's no 12 steps to get out of addiction to wealth and materialism. Hidden beneath the surface, wealth masks lives just as sinful and messy as everyone else, but we're not willing to show it because we've got a mask. We think we're clothed, but we're naked. We think we're rich, but we are poor. We think, if we're honest, that more money, more material goods, more things is the, answer, the real answer to our real problems. This is why Jesus said, you cannot serve. Listen to the words of Jesus again. You cannot serve both God and money. Money you earn, God's grace you receive. With money, you can buy comfort. You can say, I deserve this. I earned this. This is my reward. With God, you cannot say this. You can only be humbled and thankful for His grace and mercy to you. Do you see it? Do you see why wealth and materialism is so powerful because it's so deceitful and it is one thing that is standing in the way of a church being the most fruitful community it could be. Jesus talked about money so much in His ministry. He literally polarised it. You cannot serve both God and money. He talked about the deceitfulness of riches. This is a big deal for us, people. This is a big deal for me. We've got to lay it down. We want to see Jesus move in our time and our generation. Money's got to be number two or number three. Jesus has got to be number one, but we've got to see like He sees. We've got to begin to value like He values. You notice the alcoholic would not have been having intervention if they had asked for help in the first place. But the grace of God is that Jesus knows what we're really like. He knows our neediness and that is why He is knocking. He's knocking at the door. So we need to see what He sees. We need to value what He values. And thirdly and finally, we need to hear His voice and open the door to be this community shaped by Jesus' Word. What does Jesus say when He knocks on the door? What does it say in verse 20? Here I am here I am. These words have been said by many people throughout the Bible. You know, Abraham said it when God tested him to give up his only son, Isaac. Abraham said, here I am. Jacob said it when God spoke his promise over him while he was being mistreated by his uncle Laban. Jacob said to God, here I am. Moses said it. When God called to him from the burning bush to free the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt, Moses said, here I am. Samuel said it when the Lord called him to be his prophet as he laid down to sleep in the tabernacle in God's presence. When God called out in the night, Samuel said, here I am. Isaiah said it when he beheld the holiness of God in a vision, when he was called to mission, he said, here I am. But now, Jesus says it. The same God who called his servants of of old is now calling at our door. The great I am is here and present. Here I am. Notice in every example I've given, God is calling people to do something for Him and their response, their faithful response is, here I am. But now Jesus is saying the same words. Why? Why is Jesus there saying, here I am? Because Jesus doesn't need us to do anything for Him. He has done it. And that's the point. When Jesus says, Here I am, he is asking entry into our lives, into our churches, into our very being to give us everything he has. Jesus has come to minister his sacrifice in the place of Isaac, Abraham's only son, that we might know His grace. Jesus has come to minister His eternal promise to us in the place of Jacob's promise, even when we are mistreated by the world. Jesus has come to minister His redemption in the place of Moses, that we'll be free from the slavery to sin, Satan and death and become the children of God, which Israel was to be. Jesus has come to minister His voice in the place of Samuel and the Old Covenant, that we would hear a prophetic voice for our generation from the words of Jesus. Jesus has come to minister His holiness in the place of Isaiah, that we would be the people of God sent on His mission for His glory. So when Jesus knocks at the door and says, here I am, He comes with every promise of the Old Testament fulfilled. And He comes to give that personally to each and every one of us, but more than that, to us collectively as a church. He is here and He is here to give. What did Jesus look like standing at that door? You know, He's blazing with glory and yet He's still got scars. I think Jesus is the only one that retains His scars in the new body, in the resurrection body, in His hands, in His feet, in His side. Why? Because we know what it cost him. It's an eternal tribute to the love of God that he will retain his scars as he knocks on the door and says, here I am. So what is he doing knocking? What's he asking for? He just wants to come in. He's just seeking access. These verses have changed my prayer life this year. Because I've always thought about prayer and, you know, from Luke 11, ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. And that's a great way to think about prayer, but I'd never thought about it the other way. I was reading a book by a guy called um, Ol Hallisby, who was a a Norwegian pastor who was actually uh, locked up in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II, survived. But he wrote a book on prayer and he said, prayer is as much you knocking as Jesus knocking at the door of your heart and just seeking access. He doesn't need anything from you. He's just there to give. This is what Halesby says. He says, To pray is nothing more involved than to open the door, giving Jesus access to our needs and permitting Him to exercise His own power in dealing with them. Prayer is the right response of a church that sees what Jesus sees, They realise they are needy and so they begin to value what Jesus values. And so when we open the door to Jesus knocking, prayer is the right response. It's saying, I'm letting you in. I've been looking for all this stuff in every other place, but now Jesus, I'm letting you in. I'm gonna just present to you my problems because I don't need to give you any answers because you are the answer. I don't need anything but you. And so that's what I'm asking for. Prayer is the right response to a God who knocks at the door of our hearts. So how do we respond? This morning. How do we respond this morning? We allow Him full access. The church at Laodicea thinks they don't need Jesus. I mean, sure, they've had Him for salvation, but now that they've got Him, they don't need Him. I'm a bit like this. I became a Christian at 13 years old. And to that point, I didn't think I needed Jesus. But as the truth of the Gospel was starting to have an impact on me, I was starting to realise, hang on a second, if what the Bible says is true and I am a sinner and when my life is stacked up, it doesn't mean that much to God, but He still loves me, gave His Son for me and wants me to have eternal life in Him now. I became a needy person right then and there and I cried out to God and He answered that prayer. Why on earth would the Christian life stop with your neediness then and there? What does the Bible say? Give us this day our daily bread. Prayer is supposed to be the engine room of the church and it will be when you let Jesus in the door. Hallisby says that this is the nature of prayer. It's letting the risen and ascended King of glory, the Lamb who was slain, the great I am, bringing every promise made to the people of God into our lives afresh. This is when prayer turns from a function, something we feel like we have to do, to something we need to do. It becomes an encounter with the living God. In Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, he reflects on the heart of Jesus and he says, He doesn't simply meet us in our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into this tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. We often think we need to get our lives together before we can really pray, but Jesus doesn't need that from us. Remember, he says, here I am. He's there needing nothing. He's only come to give. We only need to say, come in. I mean, this is a powerful and stark example that we were given uh, from churches in different places in the world. When When you're poor, you pray. But when you realise that you're poor, you begin to pray. There's a transforming power when the Gospel gets into your heart is when you realise that you need Jesus every day. You need Him every day. This text shows us that prayer is as much knocking as it is opening. And I want you to have a look just with me, this beautiful book and this beautiful letter. It sort of begins talking to a whole church, but it ends by saying to anyone who will open the door, to anyone who will repent, this idea is that, not just for a whole church, but anybody who feels moved by this, who feels moved by the fact that Jesus knocking the door of your hearts, you begin to see as He sees, you begin to value what He values, you realise you're a needy person, He is ready for you. And today, now, this is as much true as it was then, He wants to invite Himself in. So this is not your come to Jesus moment, it's Jesus comes to you moment. Now, I've heard that you guys like to pray in this church. Uh, So um, I'm gonna invite the band uh, back up in just a moment. And I'm gonna ask you, if you just feel moved, if you you want to pray, uh, some of the ministry team will be here to pray with you, to actually ask Jesus in and to let Him in. Just opening the door. Transformation for community. That's what it means to come back to our first love. So I'm gonna pray now. And then we're gonna sing. And if you feel moved, you can come forward and pray. Our Father, we thank You for this Word. Thank You uh, that it's true. Thank You that You love the church at Laodicea. Thank You that Your Your heart is for them, that You are merciful and good, that it is out of Your place of grace, that You've shown us that You want to come in. And so Lord, we say, come in. We say to the great I Am, to every promise of the Old Testament, to the God who became lowly in every sense, who became poor and destitute so that we might in Your poverty become rich, we say, come in. As You knock, we say, enter. But Jesus, we need You and we need to know that we need You. So we wanna become a church that is powered by prayer, a community that is shaped by grace, When we look at each other, we don't see rich people, we see needy people. Lord, only You can do this, only You have the power to do this. And so we ask this morning that You would move in this place amongst these people, that You would come into our hearts and refresh and renew us again. We ask this today in Jesus' Name.